with Baruch's mission and strategic plan, which focuses in part on engaging the external community on the important political issues of the day. It is worth noting that Baruch College has the distinction of hosting this type of forum for the second consecutive time. The first one was in 2005. It is also our honor to host this event with our distinguished co-sponsors, Citizens Union, City and State, and the New York Public Interest Research Group. These co-sponsors are well-respected institutions working to foster informed citizenry and good government, and this event is a key part of this mission. I want to extend my personal thanks to Dr. David Birdsell, the Dean of the Baruch School of Public Affairs, for helping make tonight's forum possible. David has centered his academic work on the nexus of communications, uh, media, and information technology in politics and government and nonprofit administration, and he's doing an outstanding job in leading one of the fastest growing schools of public affairs in the country, and one that we hope will be an invaluable part of the new administration uh, as, and the new city council as they turn to uh, uh, universities for support and analytic advice. Many of you also know or have seen on television Baruch Professor Doug Uzio, who probably needs very little introduction. Doug is considered one of the most colorful and effective professors in our School of Public Affairs, and he is a specialist. He even wore a colorful shirt tonight, I might know. And he's a specialist in American public opinion, voting behavior, and city politics. He is also the chief pollster of Baruch College's survey research unit, and he will be moderating tonight's dialogue. This forum will provide New Yorkers with a unique opportunity to learn more about the accomplished council members joining us today and hear about their plans for the office of speaker, the second most powerful post in the New York City government. Given that most of my experience in government has been at the federal level, where I served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense in the Clinton administration, I am looking forward to a lively discussion focused on local issues here tonight. And it's now my pleasure to introduce Dick Beatty, the Executive Director of Citizens Union, which is dedicated to making democracy work for all New Yorkers. Citizens Union serves as a civic watchdog, combating corruption and fighting for political reform. Please welcome Dick Beatty. Welcome everyone, can you hear me over there in the, in the back and off to the left here? Jumani, you've got your back. I've never had that happen. You're usually talking to each other. Um, well, welcome, and uh, we're thrilled to be partnering again with Baruch in a forum that we sponsored eight years ago uh, uh, in 2005, and really that forum launched a city council reform movement that has continued over the past eight years and that Citizens Union has championed. Uh, before we get into the program tonight, I just want to draw your attention to a couple things about uh, the evening. There's a, there's a Wi-Fi uh, password, it's on your chair as part of the evening's program. There's also a Twitter hashtag uh, that we are using, um, and it's also indicated on that. Uh, so if you want to participate in social media, uh, which we hope you will, uh, please do that. The other thing is that we will be taking written questions from the audience. Uh, many of you may have received an uh, index card onto which you can write your questions, and. Uh, just as and you can do that right now, and uh, by the time I finish, if you can pass them off to the sides, and we'll have somebody come along and collect them, that'll be great. Uh, I also want to thank the many uh, candidates who are with us here tonight uh, in the race for city council speaker. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we had a very similar event eight years ago, 
and uh, you know, reform in the city council has taken place uh, in, in incremental steps uh, over that time. Uh, there's no doubt that the body is more democratic than it was eight years ago. It's also more representative of the city's demographic than it was eight years ago. Uh, if you may recall, four years ago in the, in the incoming class of 2009, or the election in 2009, uh, for the first time ever, the city council makeup uh, re finally reflected the demographic, demographic makeup of the city populace. And so there's a lot that has been happening over the last eight years since we last held a forum like this. Um, as an organization uh, that is dedicated to making democracy work for all New Yorkers, we're very interested in seeing a more democratic city council also operate. Uh, over the last uh, uh, past summer and fall, Citizens Union has evaluated over 130 candidates running for city council. And as part of that, we have analyzed the positions of many of uh, the incoming city council members who participated in our candidate evaluation process. And we are absolutely stunned at the widespread support that exists in a way that didn't exist eight years ago for a more collegial, collaborative, democratic process in the city council. I just want to cite a few things that we released to the news media earlier today about some of the changes that we hope to see actually not only supported, but embraced uh, by the council and then of course led by the speaker in bringing about these important reforms. 46 members of the city council incoming believe that chairs should be able to schedule their own hearings and committee votes. 44 believe they should have a right to hire their own staff. Uh, this is also something that's startling. 29, a majority of 29, uh, uh, believe that the number of committees should actually be reduced. Uh, right now there's something like 46. Um, 27 believe greater disclosure of outside income should also take place. 30, uh, according to our count, but 35 according to the Daily News, uh, believe that stipends should be eliminated all but for leadership positions. So that's 30 to 35 members of the city council support eliminating Lulu's. Uh, 37 also believes that any raise that may happen over the next four years to city council should be prospective and not take effect immediately. Uh, and 37 also believes that discretionary funds should be distributed on a more equal and needs basis. Um, and then also 40 support the creation of independent uh, bill drafting commission within the city council. Hopefully many of these, if not all of these reforms will be enacted, uh, creating again a more democratic, uh, collegial, collaborative uh, process to our important legislative body, and at the same time creating a very strong uh, city council speaker and creating a strong city council uh, balanced against what has become a very strong mayoral form city government in New York. Uh, what we do know is that in four years when we look back on this, uh, the city council will be a far different body than it has been and than it is today as it was eight years ago. Thank you very much, Doug. <coughs> Take it away. Thanks, Mike. Thank Welcome. I'm personally pleased to moderate tonight's speaker forum because, in fact, it's my third speaker forum in 2001 and then 2005 with Dick. Um, and also, I'm, I'm pleased to be in the presence of the next speaker of the New York City Council, one of these distinguished ladies or gentlemen, and perhaps uh, when Inez gets here, include her in that statement as well. Um, some ground rules. Also, I want to thank the diligence of the Citizen Union staff, and particularly the Baruch uh, operations, both the press operations, buildings and grounds and security, because without their help, 
it would have been absolutely impossible to put them on this event. Also, thanks to our co-sponsors, NYPIRC and City and State. Let's get to the ground rules. The first statement is an opening statement of 90 seconds. All candidates will answer all questions and all follow-ups. We will begin on my right or your left, and we will start with Councilmember Williams with the first question, and then on the second question, Councilmember Gorodnik, and then Mark Viverito, and then so, you're always on my right. So unless you want to move later, you're on the right. I was trying, I was trying to be first. Oh, well, well, you're only first for the first question, and then you can breathe easy, because no, there's six more people here for you, so don't, don't worry about it. Then for each subsequent question, it will be 60 seconds, except for what I'm calling lightning flashes, which are one or two word answers that are in the middle of the questions, and also a lightning round. Uh, there'll be a 30 second close, and then as, as uh, Dick suggested, there will be some uh, questions from the floor. Those cards will be collected, and David Bertzel has uh, uh, agreed to review those, and uh, without bias or prejudice, uh, reflect, uh, give them to me, and then I'll ask you those questions from the audience. The first question is, why you as speaker and not these other folks? What makes you different and better? You've got 90 seconds. Um, I like to stand up in uh, work. Okay, I can't take uh, So I'm gonna try, I can't take it Okay, go ahead. I'm gonna try this way and I apologize for the people on the stage. Uh, my name is Jemani Williams, I'm councilman for the 46th district. I'm representing uh, Midwood, East Lapwood, Lapwood, and Flatlands. I want to say thank you to Group, Nightbird, Citizen Union, and all the people who helped help put this together. Um, I view uh, the work that I, I'm doing now, the work I have been doing, as a trajectory of work. Uh, when I started, uh, they call it they call it raising trouble when I was on Brooklyn College campus. Now we call it community organizing. Uh, when I was doing that work on campus, and I became a real community organizer, an internal organizer, working for nonprofits. Uh, and then running a statewide nonprofit called Tenants and Neighbors, and then also becoming a city council member. I viewed it as a trajectory of learning and a trajectory of the work that I was doing, and this is just really a continuation of that work. So I am now a candidate for city council because I believe I, I come with a wealth of knowledge of uh, how this stuff works on the ground, uh, what is needed on the ground level, and how government uh, can assist with that. And I think we have a real weight and responsibility right now. As I said last night, we've made a right turn and it's the left way, uh, it's the correct way. Uh, but we have a heavy weight on our shoulders because the whole country's looking at us to see is this progressive way going to work? And we have to do it responsibly, and we have to do it efficiently. And I really believe what I've learned on my path here, uh, to, to do this in a methodical way, to make sure we say progressive ways can work and they must work, and usually, Wherever New York City goes, so goes the country. And I want to make sure they also make the right turn back. And I think my experiences, uh, whether it's nonprofits, for profits, has led me here. And I'd like to bring that to the city council uh, as a strong city council leader so we can balance out the mayor. Uh, but in addition, bring all the 51 members that uh, hopefully elect me in as uh, much contention. Thank you. Thank you. I, what I failed to note to the, the people who are sitting at the podium, what you're getting is you're going to get a 30 second 
a 10 second and a, uh, a finger across the throat. Um, <laughs> I didn't give you the finger across the throat because you had the first opportunity, but you violated the rule, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Council Member Garage. Well, thank you very much, uh, and uh, I wanted to thank you, Doug, and Baruch, and Citizens Union for having us all here tonight. Uh, it's also a pleasure to again share the stage with my uh, terrific colleagues in government uh, and uh, to share the audience with uh, many of my other colleagues and many of my friends. Uh, I grew up on the east side of Manhattan. I represent a district from 14th to 97th Street. It does not include this particular building, uh, but I grew up in the neighborhood of Stuyvesant Town, just a few blocks from here, in a rent-stabilized apartment. Um, I'm the son of a public school teacher. I'm the father of two little boys, one of whom is sleeping in the back of the room, and I'm not going to draw too much of attention to him because it's going to wake him up. Uh, I ran uh, for office because I really wanted to help my neighbors try to navigate city government and help them solve the various problems I think people frequently face with city government. Uh, and I have tried to be a creative problem solver, uh, problem solver, whether it has been to lead a multiple billion dollar bid to help the residents of Stuyvesant Town and Peter Cooper Village uh, buy the property uh, of, uh, of that community to keep it as affordable housing and stable housing into the future, or coming up way with ways to finance an East River Esplanade without any cost to the city and working with my colleagues in government and the United Nations Development Corporation, uh, or even to, uh, to pass real significant legislation in the council, tenant protection, green energy, and I hope to be able to bring those skills to support my colleagues uh, as the speaker. Thank you, Councilman. Councilman Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, buenas noches. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, as an alum of the School of Public Administration here at Baruch, I'm having that conversation with Councilmember Member Gibson, who also is an alum. But it's a real pleasure to be here. And I represent the 8th Councilmanic District, which is in Bathyard, Harlem, and also the South Bronx. I'm very proud and privileged to be entering my third term as a City Council Member. I see myself as the progressive candidate that has an inclusive vision and has a record of effective leadership. And that's what I bring to the council. After 20 years of Republican economic policy that has left too many of us behind, now is our progressive moment. And this is really, really critical as looking at the way of the legislative body being able to also work in partnership to fulfill that progressive vision, which has been a mandate in this past election. Um, I bring to this you know, the, the framework of participatory budgeting, of which I'm one of the pioneers, along with Jemani and Brad Lander, of really being co-partners with our constituents in determining where their taxpayer dollars are spent. Well, I see myself as the speaker co-partners with every single one of the members that I will represent. Their voice, their opinion, their points of view, their thought process is to be validated, is to be exploited, to bring that energy in, harness it, to really affect change that is gonna benefit the majority in the city of New York. So I'm really excited to bring that trajectory uh, of effective leadership to this position, to really look at the mandate that this mayor-elect, Bill de Blasio, will be enacting, and that the city council be a true co-partner with him in fulfilling that vision. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> council Member Palmer. Thank, thank you, Doug, for hosting us tonight, and President Walstein for um, mm. allowing us to use your space, and Dick Davies for putting this together, and making sure that um, the community gets their voices heard. I am Councilwoman Annabelle Palma, and I was um, elected 10 years ago to the community that I was born and raised in, a community where I 
So my, I, I lost my mother to AIDS. My little brother to gun violence. A community where I've experienced homelessness and where I became a teen parent. And I know of the, of the struggles that everyday New Yorkers um, face. It is why I am running for speaker, because I want to bring a vision of equality to all five boroughs. I, I cannot bring that vision of equality to all five boroughs alone. I need the help of 50 council members to allow me to do that. And I know that I can count on my colleagues to help me bring that vision. I believe that this city, it, it's about time that this city continues to move forward. We need to do that in a unified voice. We need to do that as a strong council. And we need to make sure that in a speaker and in a 50 council member-driven body, we have a real check and balance with the administration. We have a real partnership with the administration and that we deliver for New Yorkers in a way where New Yorkers are gonna finally find some relief from the from the overburdens that they have felt over the last 12 years. When this mayor ran, he ran on the tale of two cities. Well, I know what the tale of two cities feel like because that is my story. Those are my personal experiences and that's what I'm gonna bring to the council. As, as a speaker, that's what I'm gonna ask my colleagues to help me bring to New York City is some relief to, to New York in a real way. Thank you. I'd like to be speaker because I've had a history of working with people and bringing people together, even under difficult circumstances. For 26 years before I came to the council, I served as a district manager to a community board. 50 members, 26 years, diverse neighborhoods from Co-op City to Throgs Neck, the high rises and the one family and two family homeowners. And we were one of the most effective boards in the city, I'm proud to say. But that's because people bought in and they were willing to work together. We were able to build coalitions on the board in the community. Now for four years, I've been chair of the Transportation Committee. I brought together bicyclists and motorists and pedestrians and city agencies. And if any of you think that that's easy, boy, do I have stories to tell you. Um, we managed to do it by working on meaningful legislation. I hope later to go into, into the bills we passed. But the reality was that there were days where I didn't think we would, we would be able to coalesce the way we did. There were days I thought that we would never have the pedestrian law we have right outside here at Baruch College. But when Baruch approached me, we brought people together with the administration, with the city, and we made sure that that plaza was made a reality. So I want to bring those skills to the council and I want to work with my colleagues. I think we have so much to do. I want to move the council ahead because the days ahead of us are indeed very challenging. I think I have something to offer. I have a lifetime of public service. I want to serve my city. Thank you. Council Member Webber. All right, I'll make it even, I'll stand up. I've had all these people behind me, I didn't want to. Uh, hi everybody, my name is Mark Wepperin and uh, I am the proud councilman from the 23rd District in Queens. Uh, I live there with my wife, Jennifer. We've been married 18 years. We have three New York City public school students in our, uh, our household, our children and um, we're very proud of them. Uh, before I served my four years in the city council, some of you know that I served in the state legislature for almost 16 years. I have 20 years of experience as a rank and file member of the state legislature. And what that gives me is a unique understanding of what members want from a speaker and what members want to best effectively represent the people that elected them. And I really feel that I know what that is and have the ability to deliver that. In addition, that experience in Albany will help us lobby Albany to get things done for New York City. I think I have a good reputation. Um, I have a lot of people I've worked with up in Albany over many years, and we'll be able to get things out of Albany that other people will not be able to get if I'm the speaker. I represent the single most diverse district in all the city of New York. I'm very proud of that. Uh, 
working on immigrant issues has been a big part of my legislative career, and I'm uh, proud of that as well. It's personal to me. My mom came here when she was eight years old from Havana, Cuba. Welcome, Inez. And, um, and uh, that became a personal issue with us, her life story. Unlike previous speakers, I will not, I promise you, will not run for mayor of the city of New York, ever. Uh, and, and that's important, and that actually is important because one of the problems that speakers had during their last terms in office was they were focused on running for another office, which brings me to my last point. I can run for two terms. Uh, Germani and I are the only two on this term who can run for a second term. You're wrong, but go ahead. And the reason that's important is it brings accountability to the job. So you can make sure, and they can make sure, and the other colleagues can make sure that I keep my promises. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Councilmember Dickens, you just walked in, so let me tell you what we're, what we're doing here. The first question is, has been raised to all of them. They've all answered. It's your turn. The question is, why you as speaker? Why not these other folks? What do you bring to the table? What is different about you and better about you than these folks here? Thank you so much, and I apologize quickly for my lateness. I had um, called Citizens Union and explained that I had a prior commitment in my community, and I would be running late, And but I'm grateful for you allowing me to speak. My name is Inez Dickens. I represent Central Harlem. I uh, am presently in leadership. Uh, the reason I think that I am the best candidate is because I bring experience, not just being in the city council, but having volunteered as the first vice chair of the New York State Democratic Party, also as having been a liaison as a district leader for 20 years, representing my community, being the liaison between the, the electeds of, of my community and of the city and the communities. I. Uh, I'm also very strong. I work very hard on building coalitions. I work with my colleagues and in leadership. I am frequently the liaison between the speaker and, and my colleagues. When there are issues, when there are problems that arise, they frequently come to me and speak to me, maybe because I'm easier, easier access, quicker to get to, because I am a colleague. And I represent them to the speaker. Uh, and argue uh, what their points of, of interest or what their asks are about. And I fight very hard on behalf of, of my colleagues, and I think that it's very important to protect our colleagues and protect the institution, and I'm very much about that. Thank you. Thank you. A, a, a brief follow-up, beginning with you, uh, Council Member Garadnik. How do you propose to herd 50 cats? What is your leadership style? How do you get done what you want to get done? Uh, well, I beg your pardon. I wouldn't characterize my uh, colleagues as a bunch of cats. But uh, the, the answer to the question is uh, you need to uh, be able to have the relationships with your colleagues, to be constantly supporting them in the ways that they need in their district, treating the speaker's role like a 50-member constituent services operation so that you wake up every morning and when one of your colleagues calls you because they have a particular need in their district, that you are there to support them and help them make it through and solve the problems that they have. Which means that at the time that you are uh, needing their help to move the institution, to move something forward and ask them uh, to be cooperative, to do something more broadly for the council, uh, that it is not a matter of a heavy lift, it is not a matter of uh, a, a threat or punishment, it is about the relationship that you have built, it's about the trust that they have in you, uh, and that's the way I think that you keep it in order, or herd the cats, as you would say. Thank you. 
very often in the city council, things happen, we have no idea they're gonna happen, uh, and they come up on an agenda, we haven't discussed them, we don't know how people feel about them. That is a source of a lot of frustration. My personality, some of you know me, you know, I, I, am, I, I don't think I have the biggest ego in the city council. I do have a big ego, as we all do, but I, I don't need to make it about Mark Weprin. It's not gonna be about Mark Weprin. My joy is gonna be making sure that members are involved, that members get a chance to represent their district to the best of their ability. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there's always room for change, but I'm gonna be very honest with you. Right now, uh, all members, all Democratic members of the New York City Council attend every two weeks Democratic caucus, which gives them full details and we have the ability to ask questions of the attorneys, out, out the committees, and the committee chairs if they're in attendance. Now that's the honesty. Now is there room for, for change? Is there room for improvement? Absolutely is. And I'm committed and have shown my members that I'm committed to the protection of them and their districts because each one of us represents a, approximately 160,000 persons in our district. And when you are speaker, when I am speaker, whatever one of us is chosen as speaker, what's gonna be important is we must have the trust of the council members. It's not about like or dislike, it's about trust. We got to believe that that speaker is there to protect us, our constituents, and the institution. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Council Member Wade. Sure. Uh, the first lesson I learned is that you don't have to use a hammer for a pushpin. Uh, and many people mistake that when they get into political <coughs> leadership. And I'm hoping to use what I've learned, particularly as a community organizer, uh, to help bring people to consensus. And I'm proud to have displayed some of that, being part of uh, a group of folks with Brad Lanza and some people on this stage and uh, many advocates to pass the Community Safety Act. And I, I mentioned that because that's the Vice Mayor's Profile Bill might be one of the most divisive bills that came to the city council. We were able to do that with minimal divisiveness. We were able to keep 34 people together uh, because of trust, because of consensus. And what I've learned through participatory budgeting and any community organizing is that one of the most powerful things that you can do as a person in a leadership position is to make other people feel empowered, make them feel engaged. And that's the type of leadership that I want to bring to the city council to help keep us together and help keep us independent and provide a proper balance in the mix. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question, after we'll begin with council, one more for Rita. Speaker Quinn was Michael Bloomberg's partner on many issues, and several of you have talked about the partnership between the, the council and yourselves and the mayor. Will you be Mayor Giuliani? Uh, mayor Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those Italian last names just got me. I'm sorry, Melissa. I mean, you don't want to do that at all. No. Stupid seems to be the right word. You've talked about the word partner. What does that mean to you specifically? Okay. Thanks, sir. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of being a progressive. I'm proud of having been the first council member to endorse Mayor Alexa Blasio. I'm proud of the mandate that he has received from this election of moving the city in a new direction. That's critical. And that is something that we as a city council, as a legislative body, cannot have deaf ears to, right? 
So we also need to understand that in order to move the aggressive and very ambitious agenda, which I'm sure a lot of us believe in, we have to be a co-partner. We have to be able to move those issues that we are aligned with. But there are going to be times, and I know I have a very strong trajectory of independence as well, that when it comes to a collaborative body like the council will be under leadership of Melissa Margarito, that if the, the, the body decides that we want to move in a different direction, then I'm going to stand up and defend what it is that the body wants, and it may be in contrast to the mayor. Uh, I have a feeling with that the ambitious agenda we have, we're probably going to be more aligned than we will be different. But there will be times when that difference will have to be um, understood, and then we will exercise it when necessary. I'm not going to afraid to do that, and I will continue to have that level of, uh, of, of record. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Speaker Quinn has her, has her way of governing, and I think each and every one of us will bring a different style of governing. To, to the role, I believe in in the mandate and the and and you know and and the call for action that this mayor um, that Mayor Elect de Blasio has called for. I am prepared to be a partner to the mayor when it's when we know that legislation makes sense for communities. When we know that the um, the budget the the demand for some budget requests makes sense for communities. And I'm also prepared to be that check and balance that the administration needs when my colleagues and I do not agree that something will not be good for my community or any of my colleagues' community. So I believe that it's gonna be, again, a member-driven council, a strong, a strong council to be able to be that, that, check, that strong check and balance that the administration is gonna need, and then to be a true partnership when we need to be a partnership with the, with the mayor-elect. Thank you. <coughs> council Member Zaka. I'm confident that I will also work with Mayor de Blasio, um, and he'll respect me as Speaker of the Council as I supported him when he wanted to be Speaker of the Council in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, know, he's, I, I know, though, that it's important for the Speaker of the Council to always represent the body, and it's important for the mayor to know that the Speaker of the Council represents the body. I want to be democratic and all that, and I will be. I'm a democratic person. But I want you to know something. It's important that we not weaken this council, that it be strong. I don't want to be a John Boehner who, when he goes in to see President Obama, President Obama finds out that John Boehner does not speak for the body, does not have the votes, and he goes to Harry Reid instead and says, let's reopen the government. After we do what we have to do, Boehner will have no choice. I want to be someone who the mayor will know represents a consensus built on a, a deliberative process, but I want to go in the room and I want the mayor to know that the council has concerns based on my representation. Thank you. Thank you. So Bill de Blasio won a mandate this year. Uh, it won an overwhelming election. So we won a mandate for a lot of things. He's going to be the, an out-of-borough mayor. Mark Weppert will be an out-of-borough speaker. He's going to be the first public school parent who's a mayor. Mark Weppert will be the first public school parent to be a speaker. He has a progressive agenda. Mark Weppert has a 19-year progressive agenda on women's rights, on LGBT rights, on, on tenants' rights, on environmental issues. Um, on diversity, uh, this issue, the debate was a lot about diversity. I represent the single most diverse district in the city of New York. And wouldn't it be nice to have a speaker whose district looks like the city of New York? And he has a possibility of running for two terms. 
And guess what? Mark Weprin has the possibility of running for two terms as well. And the mayor knowing that he's going to have to look at this ugly mug maybe for eight full years will make us a much stronger speaker. Because I agree with Jimmy Baca, we need a strong speaker. And um, making, uh, making sure that we're a strong council and have a strong speaker is very important. I think it's essential that we don't have someone who's a lame duck the first day they get to office. Thank, thank you. you. Council Member Dick. Uh, thank you. Um, this mayor-elect de Blasio has a very aggressive, progressive agenda. But he has also over the years argued about um, the city council, if you will, rubber stamping the mayor. I do not believe that mayor-elect de Blasio wants to make that same error. He wants an independent, strong city council that can be a check and balance to what has to be done to continue to lead this city in a better direction than it has been in the last 20 years. That has been what he has campaigned on before he ran for mayor. And that's what his belief is. And this city council, under my leadership and direction, will be just that. Will first protect the members and their constituents and protect our council members and protect the city of New York and work as best we can, as best I can with the mayor Thank and at the same time have a check and balance. Thank you. Thank you. Look, I'm very excited that we have uh, the holiday coming that I called on December 31st. Uh, the last day of Mayor Bloomberg's administration. <laughs> I'm very excited that Mayor de Blasio is coming to office. I believe we will have to be able to move forward many things that we couldn't. Uh, I also believe that you agree when you when you can, and you have to disagree when you can't, and we have to move what the council needs forward. And I have examples of doing that, and many people don't know. As loud as I was uh, with the mayor, uh, with the commissioner, I was able to get things that we needed for my district. In the middle of battling for the community safety act, I was able to secure $400,000 from the administration uh, to build, to begin building a community, a community center in my district, a feasibility study. That takes some kind of leadership to be able to battle and get at the same time. I was able to call Commissioner Kelly and get a special detective unit to deal with guns in a certain area of my district. So you have to be able to battle and not stop battling uh, just for something that you might gain. Be able to work with people even though you don't you disagree to move people forward. And I have experience doing that. I'm looking forward to doing that in the future as well. Thank you. I think we're all very excited about the election of our new mayor. We want him to succeed. But I think it's equally important for us to remember that the charter mandates certain responsibilities to the city council. It includes the budgetary power, the power to pass legislation, the power to do active oversight. Uh, and the power to approve land use projects. Uh, and we cannot and will not abdicate any of those responsibilities uh, because that is what we are charged to do. So when it comes to our relationship with the mayor, it will be respectful always. We're not always going to agree. Uh, but when we disagree, we are going to do it in a way which recognizes the fact that the council has powers, the mayor has even more powers, and that we are going to make sure that we are working together cooperatively, but as an appropriate check, as was anticipated under the city charter. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to do a, a light, lightning flash question, if you will. And this is a yes-no question. 
have you, oh no, I'm sorry, have you, have you or your senior staff have any, have had any conversations with the mayor-elect on the speakership? Absolutely. Have you had any with any county leaders? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go any further. Now, well, Council Member Backer, same question. No, with county leaders, yes, definitively. With any county leaders? Yes. No, yes. Okay. Same. No, and yes. Uh, myself, no, yes. Right, not only yourself, yourself or your senior staff, but then with the mayor or his senior staff. Yes and yes. Yes and yes, okay. Now, I guess I begin with you, Jimmy. How do you get to 26? How do you become the speaker? How do you put a majority together? Tell me. Give me your strategy. Well, I started this table hoping everyone will drop out and give me their vote. <laughs> well, that's, that's all. You only, you only get six votes. I mean, come on. Well, I have to start somewhere, don't okay. I? Okay. Let's be serious here. Well, you know, where do I start? Uh, of course, I started my home borough. I hope that people there think well of me. And then going beyond that, I would look to my colleagues that I've had the pleasure working with now for eight years. I think many members have not made commitments at this point. I think most members have an open mind. And I would count on that so that I would be given an opportunity to talk to each of them to go to forums that they may have. We have a progressive caucus. They've invited me to attend on Sunday, and I will be there. We have members who I've not spoken to that I hope to. So how do I put together that coalition? Well, I think that remains to be seen. I think that's a question all of us are asking ourselves. But I would hope that I would be allowed to present myself and that I could represent to members an opportunity to be a consensus candidate for speaker. Thank you. How do you win this one? Well, you know, Doug, it's, it's an interesting year because um, everything, everyone seems to be part of a block of votes this time. It, it's unusual. There aren't a lot of free agents where people are not mm -hmm. affiliated with either the Progressive Caucus, a county organization, or the Republican Party. So it is unusual that they, um, you know, that people are out there saying, you know, I'm all for this one. Um, so it is going to be a, a, a long process. I have a feeling we'll be going past Christmas before we really have a speaker picked. You know, I'm hoping that you know my work, working with my colleagues, my reputation, uh, my ability to deal with people, my um, you know, I like to I, you know that I sometimes uh, have a sense of humor about things, and I think that is a positive thing to keep people you know actively involved and in, 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 uh, in the process, and not to take yourself too seriously, but never take the work too lightly. Um, so I'm just hoping I can make the case in the end of the day and win over enough of those blocks of votes. And I think once someone gets to 26, they're going to have 51. Uh, we're all talking with our colleagues. I think most of our colleagues um, are aligned with one group or another, whether they admit it or not. Whether it's one of the caucuses or whether it's with a, a, their county. And I think we all understand that. And we are 
each of us, or I am, talking with all of my colleagues, asking them to please consider what I have done, what I have been to be supportive to all of my colleagues, and to, to take me as, my, as their number one. And if they can't, I ask them to seriously consider me as their second candidate. That's to be honest and truthful, knowing that most of my colleagues do have a commitment one way or another, even if they don't say so. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Council member. Sure. Well, I learned a pretty important lesson for this question, whether it was running for student government, running for school board, running for council, and that's uh, don't share your strategy with the people that you're running against. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you got the campaign. You got me. Uh, so I will say uh, that I'm very proud to be a member of the Progressive Caucus, which is actually different than the Progressive Caucus. I happen to belong uh, to both of them. Uh, I have uh, pledged my vote uh, to the block. Uh, but I'm going to do the same as everyone else. Uh, try to very hard to speak to my colleagues, uh, describe what I've done, what my vision is, and how we can build the institution going forward. Thank you. Councilmember Karadnik. So I'm not a member of the progressive bloc, and I'm not a member of any of the uh, historical uh, organized blocs mm -hmm. of any county organization. Uh, the argument that I make to my colleagues is the same regardless of who they block with, and that is uh, with me, they will get somebody who will work with them to help them succeed in delivering for their districts. Uh, the districts uh, have lots of varied needs in New York City, uh, and you need a speaker who has a level of sophistication to understand what people need, deliver it to them, uh, be a collaborator, as I have been for all eight years of my time in the council, uh, and I think that at the end of the day, it would be my hope uh, to uh, generate enough uh, interest among any of those blocks uh, to, be, uh, to be a successful candidate. Thank you. Uh, so basically, uh, win any speaker race by doing it working member by member. I first and foremost respect every single one of my colleagues, and I meet with them individually to really lay out the vision and to hear what their concerns are terms of serving in the body and moving forward. But that's the first conversation, first and foremost, you respect the individuals that are you are gonna lead and you respect the individuals that you're gonna work side by side with. And obviously, yes, there are the historical other structures that you do have to have conversations with. I too, as Jerani has said, I'm a member of the progressive block. And I have to make the case to them and the members of the block and make the case that they will support me and my candidacy. And that process will be respected. So in the meantime, we go ahead and we, we proceed by that way. Just out of respect to the members and getting the support we'll let You know, the, the, the strategy here for me is to continue to be myself, to continue to show members that I am still that same progressive person that got elected 10 years ago. That same person that knows how to build relationships, knows how to build consensus, and knows that we can do, we cannot do anything without the support of our colleagues. I'm, I'm that same person who came up through the rank and files of labor, the same person that knows that without um, uniform, you are not going to be able to accomplish anything. I, I too have reached out to my colleagues. I too have met with them one-on-one, -on -one, including the, the art, you know, all of us sitting up here in, in this room, but at the end of the day, I believe that my colleagues will get to know who I am, will realize that I am a person of integrity, I'm a person that they can trust, I'm a person that's gonna be accessible to them, 
And I would hope that they can trust in me that I can be that leader that they're looking for, the leader that's about building consensus and bringing the, the council forward. And if I can put it together, then I have to say I have to be biased. I'm voting for Jimmy because he's from the Bronx. Okay. <laughs> A little thorough Okay, let, let's, let's continue in this vein of talking about blocks and votes. The New York Times reported today that there was a meeting of the Progressive Caucus and that the a block, they, she referred to, I'm sorry, did you refer to it as a caucus? Okay, we'll call it the block. Um, and that all 20 members of this block are now committed to vote for one member. Am I, am I correct in that assessment, the two folks who are part of it? No, no, I know, but I'm, I'm violating my own rule. We're not members of the block, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. What's the question? The question is, are you a member of the block? You are. And you are committed as a member of that block to vote with the rest of the block as a block for one member to be a speaker. And uh, Council Member Garibek, you are not. You are. You are not. I am not. You are not. I am not. And you are not. Now, if the two of you are running, one of you can't be the choice of the block. So you are committed to support one or the other of you if you are the candidates. That is correct. There's people on the base. Like, yeah, go ahead. There's a lot of people that have to make decisions on who they're going to support. Right. So I've committed to vote uh, for the block, and uh, I'm going to keep that commitment, and I have to try to keep the block as well as my other members the same as everybody else in the day. Okay. I've been invited to be part of the conversation and the interview process of the Okay. Now let's. Okay. Go ahead. In 2005, I voted for Bill de Blasio because I would not be part of the block in the Bronx that wanted me to give them my vote without knowing who I was giving my vote to. And what Annabelle, an interesting idea. Yes. And Annabelle and I took a position at that time that we would not be part of a block when we did not know where that was leading us to. And we stood with Bill de Blasio to the end. And believe me, we were not the most popular people for a while at City Hall when, 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 when Bill did not make it. But um, I stand on my reputation in that regard. We're going to go a little bit out of the sequence, but I'm, I'm watching their time. Yeah, but as a member of the block, this is a privilege to respond. We're, this is not a blind block. We are moving towards ideology. So uh, we're not, there's not going to be someone, I believe, that is chosen as a block uh, person who doesn't fit that ideology. So oh. it's not like we're agreeing in blind to vote for anybody. Sure. We're focused on ideology. Sure. That we want to get sure. No, that, that's a good proposition. Participatory and inclusive. I know that um, we had these forums and then now it started out with the Progressive Caucus and now it's a, pro a progressive block. And I think for many of us who had decided to be part of this process, it feels like you know the block has made a decision already. So we were going in, yes, to speak to our colleagues who are, we're meeting with anyway. We're, we're trying to convey our message and we're trying to persuade them that we're the best candidates but that you know, someone that's not part of this block or part of the caucus is not going to have a chance in in that you know in, in in being a candidate. Okay, let's now move to more council operations, notions of discretionary funding. Some of you have raised those issues as well. Recently, a package of city council rules changes 
was supported by 31 members of the incoming council. And specifically among the proposals was equitable or needs-based distribution of discretionary funding, creation of an independent bill drafting entity, as the council member mentioned, and empowering committee chairs, among other items. Uh, I guess I begin really with you, Mark. Uh, do you support these three changes? Yes. One more answer? No. Yes. Okay. No, no, that's not okay. a good okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, no, those, those are the three changes that I signed on to. Just those three changes that I signed on to as a, as, as a group. We did those who we signed on for. The, the equalization of member items, the reason I support that is one of the problems with the way member items were giving out before was that they would list in the budget, which is a good thing. I was very supportive of that. But it would, it would prioritize who gets the most, who gets the least. And it was often used as a punishment for reasons that weren't necessarily based on, on what I think are right reasons. People ought to represent their district any way they want. They shouldn't get punished for that. So this eliminates the embarrassment of having everyone know who got the least amount of money. Everyone's going to get the same amount of money as far as the budget goes under their name. Uh, I am so passionate on the idea of bill drafting. It's unbelievable. I, I hate to give Albany credit for anything, but Albany has a bill drafting commission. If you want to put in a bill in, you call and you put the bill in. Right now it takes about two months to get a bill introduced. Uh, and if they decide to introduce it. And third, um, on the committee chairs, I think it's currently actually the rules, but I think committee, should have, committee chairs should have a lot of say over when their committees meet uh, and, uh, and decisions that are made on those committees about what's on the agenda and when they should have. And I'd like to see committees, as another reform, actually meet on specific days so people can actually schedule their lives. Okay, thank you. Councilwoman. Thank you. I embraced some of, of the uh, reforms that have been presented, but not all. Now, for instance, in member items, it should never be used as punishment, and I'm not aware that it has been. I'm not aware, because I have not always agreed with the current speaker, and yet I still went in and fought on behalf of my district. Some fights I won, some fights I lost, but I stand tall for my community, and that's why I won overwhelmingly. But having said that, member items cannot be equal. And that's because they base it upon numbers frequently. For instance, domestic violence. They came in with saying we're going to utilize the police reports of incidents of domestic violence and base the funding in a district on that. Well, council member David Greenfield raised the issue that in his district, he has huge amounts of domestic violence, and yet it's not reported to the police. And therefore, in his district, he was gonna be adversely impacted on the amount of money he would receive from Dove because the women in his district do not report it. And I stood with him and said that we cannot Thank utilize you. that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman. Uh, well, not only am I one of the members, 31 signed on, I was one of the four uh, that helped to uh, formulate some of the ideas to get uh, the other uh, 28, 29 people on. I'm very proud of that and I support them all. And I actually agree with some of what you said. Um, just for clarity, the, what we were talking about equalizing uh, did not include the initiatives, it was the, the individual money that I was giving to each person. I believe that it should either be needs based or equally distributed. Uh, it's very difficult to get a needs-based formula that's going to work. 
So I think until we can do that, we should definitely uh, do uh, equal amounts to everyone. Uh, and I, I would hope at some point that nonprofits that benefit from this money would also stand up to explain to people what is this thing that they call pork, what is this thing they call flush. Because they take it away from the federal, they take it away from the state, and they try to take it away from the city. And it is money that is used very, very well for small organizations that may not have gotten it. And there's a problem that we keep attacking. There's going to be no system that no one is going to steal. We have to try to minimize that. The way to do that is not to eliminate it. Uh, it is to try to make it as good as you possibly can. Uh, the committees, we already have the power. Many people don't use it because of the sticks. If you fix some of the sticks, some of the power the committee should have, uh, they use it a little more. Thank you. Council Member <coughs> I, I, too, supported the rules reform proposals. I think that we need uh, more balance in the discretionary funding process. We need uh, independence in bill drafting. If somebody's going to tell you that a bill can't move forward for one reason or another, uh, it needs to be accompanied with a legal memo so you understand precisely the rationale so you don't just get uh, bogged down by the speaker or whatever his or her agenda is. Um, this is not a new issue for me. I co-chaired a rules reform task force when I first came into the council. We liberalized a number of the rules, including the motion to discharge, the ability to amend a bill on the floor. But I think that most significantly, the council's rules are generally pretty good. But as Jamani just said, part of the real issue here is the fact that people are afraid to uh, employ them in support of their own initiatives. And that's what really needs to change. We need members to feel free to use the rules. They need to feel free to advocate for themselves. And more broadly, we can't fear dissent in the city council. We want to have active debates and dialogues in our committee hearing, and even debates in our full council. That's something we don't actually do today. And all of us have gone to one mock city council meeting or another at a high school or a middle school, and somebody's playing you, the role of you as a council member, and they say, uh, you know, we're debating a bill on this, that, or the other thing, and you say to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, we don't, we don't actually do that in the city council, and we need to do that. That's a good place to stop. Council member. You know, we have a, a saying in Spanish about, you know, you can't cover the sun with your finger, right? The truth is the truth. And the truth is that the member items have been used for political And people have been denied or accredited. Let's be real, that's the truth that's happened. And that has to stop. So I am a strong defender of member items. I believe it's incredibly important and powerful for communities like the one that I represent, important to communities throughout the city. It's how we arrive at the decision of how we allocate the funds which is important. And so having some level of a formula is critically important, but again, those are conversations in terms of the level of detail and that ultimate decision that has to come back to the body and we have to have a further conversation. These rules of reform, I completely support. Uh, the ones that have been mentioned, again, conversation, we could, at some point we have to approve them and we have to move it forward in the body. So we have to have a fuller conversation. But the reason there is fear of people taking a position is because we've been disempowered. Right? We don't have our voice heard. Things have already been digested for us, right? Or whatever. We have very limited ability to move legislation. We don't have the ability to bring on staff in the committee levels. That has changed. The rules of form will make those changes. We're going to empower the body, be a more robust and vigorous body, and we're going to move the city forward in a progressive direction. Thank you. I just have a quick follow-up. When you talk about formula, are you talking about equalization or are you talking about needs best? I think the rules, right now the reforms we signed on to says either or, okay? okay? So okay. I think that the conversation has to be a fuller conversation in the body and we arrive at a decision. Okay, very good, thank you. Council no, I, I am not signed on to, to the package of rules reforms. It doesn't mean that I am against um, rule reforms. I believe that there's 
again, an opportunity for improvement, an opportunity to engage 51 members to figure out how we change these rules, how we reform the council in a way where we're going to build consensus, build unity, and, and make sure that what, when we are talking about committees, that the committee signs power through the chairs, that delegations of boroughs are, are, are empowered, that when we're doing a budget, that is 51 members participating in a budget process, not just a few. I, I strongly believe in that. I, I know what it's like to be punished. I was punished. I, you know, my community suffered. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a punishing person. I'm not a person that's gonna use member items to punish any council member who doesn't agree with me. We are here to agree, agree to disagree, move forward. We can agree on one issue. You know what, the next time we may agree and we, we will we'll go and, and, and move the legislation forward. But I, we do that by being part, part, um, participants, partners, and working together in a real way. Thank you, council member Zaza. I did not sign on to the rules reforms. I have to tell you something, and I just uh, think I said it before. I don't sign on to blank checks. Uh, it would have been politically expedient for me as a candidate to, for speaker to see 31, 32 members signing on. We have 51. So the politically expedient thing would have been to sign on. But when you talk about distribution of monies and you say the distribution should be equitable or it should be placed based on need, and you don't say which one you favor, well, I need to know which one you favor before I sign my name saying I support you. Equitable also has to mean to me that members are involved in a metrics or a rubric as to what is equitable. When you talk about based on need, what is need? I don't know. Need can be interpreted by different people different ways. So while I favored some of the reforms, and I certainly do understand that the committee structure, as I indicated, needs to be looked at, and I do favor reform, I really don't sign legislation or introductions or bills unless I know exactly what the impact will be before I sign my name. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councilwoman Dickens, let's start with the next question. And you sort of raised it in your response to the last question. Is there a danger that in empowering individual council members and committee chairs, you thereby weaken the speaker and thereby the council as an institution is weakened. Council no, I don't think that, the, that, that empowering members weakens the institution, and I don't believe it weakens the speaker. Uh, the speaker has a responsibility of all 50 members, and the responsibility of protecting the institution and carrying forth the message, if you will, of the 50 members. Now, we have the responsibility to have oversight over the city agencies. <coughs> Some, of course, are much more responsive than others. Some feel that they don't have to respond to the council at all, such as NYCHA. That has to stop. If we have oversight, of the city agencies that we should have proper oversight and the committee chairs should have the ability to bring in the agencies that they are supposed to have oversight and have the proper hearings with the public there in the chamber. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman. Uh, Councilmember Williams. So I was, talk, I was talking about new reforms when I came into council, and I was very excited, but a couple of my other colleagues 
I wanted to talk about it. And even going forward, the one thing I was clear about is that there needs to be a speaker strong enough to keep the body independent and to keep the body together and to be a counterbalance for the mayor. Uh, so there, those packages of reforms wasn't a blank check. It was something I worked very hard on. There was actually things that I took out. Uh, I asked to be taken out. We discussed it. It was taken out because I felt it would make the speaker too weak. Uh, so I made sure anything I assigned my name to, there's a lot of things that I could do to be politically expedient, but I don't. Uh, so political expediency is not what I look for. I try to make sure things are the right thing to do. Now, these reforms, I believe, all the right thing to do. Uh, they will help the other 50 of the members who are elected the same way do their job a little bit better. I believe we need a strong speaker. At the same time, we have to empower as many of our colleagues as we can to do the job that they're elected to. I think this is the right time. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Verizon. Well, I think that the question hits on precisely the challenge that we have. There's no question that the more autonomy that individual members have, uh, the less potential cohesion that there is as a group of 51. Uh, and uh, I think that we need to respect the prerogatives of individual members. Uh, each of us was elected to represent a group of 160,000 people, and we need to be able uh, to act responsibly using the rules uh, to be able uh, to make that all happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, this is a really a question of skill, uh, diplomacy, persuasion of a speaker. Whether it's me or someone else, the skill of the speaker to be able to hold the body together, to be able to persuade people that maybe they should hold back at a particularly sensitive moment, or maybe then was the time to be able to pursue a particular initiative, that becomes even more important, uh, and I think that is a real factor in considering uh, how we end up. Thank you, Councilwoman. Yeah. I think, as, as has been mentioned, that the reforms as presented is the perfect body in, in check, help with the, uh, with the colleagues, develop an agenda, and move the body forward. So but I always find it fascinating that when the idea of like, sharing power comes into question, people say, oh, that weakens the institution, right? I think it empowers the institution. It makes it a more effective institution. It's going to make it a, a better body. And I think that one of the hallmarks <coughs> of the current administration has been the true disconnect between decisions that were being made at the top and what the needs of local communities were, right? And that really carried over in, in policies that we always were at a lot, uh, always battling him on, or land use decisions, et cetera. This mayor-elect has clearly indicated that the voice of disenfranchised communities outside of Manhattan boroughs uh, were gonna be weighed in. That is really important. And having your colleagues be co-partners with you is a way of validating that as well, that the needs of local communities are gonna be heard, that's empowering, and again, that is gonna be something that is gonna move us forward, and it is not gonna weaken the power of the speaker. Thank you. Council. An empowered city council makes a strong speaker. We can only do this cohesively, and every member has to be engaged. We have to engage every member. This is the only way we're gonna do this. This is the only way we're gonna get to success, to make sure that this city council stays strong, stays together, speaks as one voice and stays unified. Thank you. Council Member. You know that all of us are going to say that we should empower members more because all of us want the votes of the 51 members who want the empowerment. I too would like to empower members. I also want you to know that it's a challenge to empower members 
while also having a strong speaker. We need to do both. We have some challenges before us. It's going to be a new time for us because don't forget, we're going to have a Democratic speaker and a Democratic mayor. For 20 years, we've had a Republican or an Independent or whatever. We have not had a Democrat. We have not had a Democrat for 20 years. And now we're going to be working with a member of our own party at the other end of City Hall. But it's also going to be a challenge because there's, there's, there's been instances of concern in the last eight years. How do we ameliorate those, those issues? And how do we bring members more into the process? But I also think we need a strong speaker. So that's where con consultation with members comes in. And that's where being accessible comes in. That's where rules reform come in. So that we do it, and we do it the right way. Because so many of those reforms will not just be for the next council, but they will be in perpetuity. Thank you. Council Member Weffern. You know, one of the things I, I found out when I worked in the state legislature, you know, was what was how discussion can really help empower people. Having debates, having conferences where we actually discuss issues and get into de details, you learn things about other people's areas, especially you know, when I was in Albany, you had people from farming towns and other things, which I was not sure of, and I disagreed with them vehemently when I heard what it was, but then when I heard their explanation, I said, well, I just understand where they're coming from, and it makes you less likely to go out and blast them when you know how it came to an agreement, and, and maybe they make changes based on what my concerns were in Queens. I mentioned the diversity of my district, and I spend every day of my, uh, my life these days bringing people together from diverse backgrounds for a common good. That's what we gotta do in the city council, is work together. And as a unified body, we really can get things done and be much stronger. And we need to be a counterweight to the mayor. We need to be the oversight of those agencies. That is what was required of us. And we're gonna agree with them on a lot of policy, but when the agencies start doing work and putting in programs, we may not agree, and we will investigate, and that's our job. And so we're not always gonna get along with the mayor, but you gotta treat each other with respect because you're going to be working together a lot more than you're working against each other. Okay, thank you. Now let's move into some more substantive areas, and we're back to you, Council Member Williams. The city faces severe budget challenges, uh, including the expiration of the city's union contracts, uh, the potential provision of universal full-day free check. If that, the question is, if Mayor de Blasio's plan to raise income taxes on the wealthy fails to clear Albany, would you support an increase in the real estate tax, the only tax you actually control to pay for universal free tax? So uh, there's a fundamental uh, problem when it comes to the budget and the budget dance that we do. The city council is fundamentally uh, at a disadvantage. Uh, this particular man had an arrogance that can't fit in this room. Uh, but even beside that, uh, this is one of the most powerful mayoralties in the country. The $70 billion budget uh, about 98, 99% of that is full of administration. We get about 350 million or so, and people expect us to do everything with 350 million dollars. About 300 of that goes to restoration. 50 million we have left is to play. The one thing I want to do, and I work with my colleague Daniel Ronick, is get charter revision changes uh, to rebalance uh, some of the power so that the city council can play the role. Uh, that people have elected us to play. I believe if people understood how much of a disadvantage we were, uh, they would push to get these charter changes. I think we have to explore all revenue options. Um, you just mentioned one, but there are many others that I believe can be done that are much more progressive than we just for. Excuse me, would you support that and would you consider it a real option? I think everything is an option. We have to explore everything. Okay. Okay. Asking that in a silo, 
of $70 billion and other revenue raising option there is, is kind of unfair because it tilts to what people may think. Okay. We have to explore Fine. Well, first, I just want to follow up on what uh, Councilmember Williams was uh, noting on the subject of budget reform. Uh, he and I have worked very hard together to try to shine a spotlight on the, uh, the deficit of information that we have as a council to be able to do our job uh, under the charter. Uh, by way of illustration, you know, the Department of Education has a $19 billion budget and $4 billion of it is in a single unit of appropriation. So it's a block of $4 billion without specific uh, explanation uh, or detail for us to be able to fairly uh, evaluate. We need to change that process. We hope to work with the mayor-elect to be able to change that process. Uh, and as to his, uh, his program, you know, first and foremost, we need to stand with him as a council and help him deliver uh, on the promise that he made to New Yorkers in the election, mm -hmm. uh, and that's exactly what we'll do. Uh, and I don't think that we should really be exploring alternatives until we really do that. Yeah, but you might very well face I, that. I don't think I'm, I'm ready to explore alternatives yet. Really? You're in denial. <laughs> Councilwoman. Uh, you know, I would find it quite unbelievable that after the mandate we've received in this election, the fact that if we have a council that in partnership with the mayor-elect, de Blasio, is going to go to Albany and speak in a united voice about the state legislature authorizing us as a municipality the right to tax our own constituents, that I cannot see how it would not, how we would be defeated. Granted, it's an election year, but I am not of that mentality that we will be defeated. I believe that we have to have a strong partnership, that united voice, and then obviously organize on the ground, because this is what the election was about. This is something that was crucial to the platform of the mayor-elect, and it was overwhelmingly supported. So that voice needs to be heard, and I will be a strong speaker with my colleagues to make sure it is heard. Now, as has been said, there is a lot to explore in this budget. There is an incredible amount of contracting out. There are a lot of ways that we can really analyze deep, uh, delve deeply into the budget and explore other options. I think the, a real estate tax is a last, last resort. I think there is a lot of work to do prior to that before we even get to a point of exploring that as an option. And as I would like to really look at that more deeply. Thank you. Council. Now, in the last 12 years, uh, a real estate taxes is what we basically had as an option. And I think that New Yorkers and homeowners have been suffering for the last 12 years. So I totally agree that that should be our, la our last option. There's a lot of waste in, in this outgoing administration. We have to work in partnership with the new mayor that's coming in to find where that waste is and to make sure that we get rid of, that we reduce wasting our taxpayer dollars in the wrong areas. Um, we need to get rid of some of these subcontracts that, that exist and redirect those dollars in a real way that are gonna bring some relief to New Yorkers. Thank you. Councilmember Wagner. I don't like increasing the real estate tax. I think it's a last resort. It is one of the most regressive taxes that impacts on affordable housing. R rents will be raised once taxes go up. Impacts on immigrants and seniors who are small property homeowners. Uh, I think that we have to look at revenue owed to the city of New York that we cannot collect. We are owed about $1 billion in revenue that we have been unable to collect. We may have to go to Albany to do it, but we've got to get the legislation and the right to collect that money that's owed us. But I think the tax policy in the days ahead is very, very important. I voted against increasing the sales tax in the city council, and I, uh, I took it on the head for that. 
But I'm going to tell you something. The sales tax is the most regressive. It hits the poor as much as the rich. I will support the mayor in his request for the millionaire's tax. I think that is fair. I think that that is something that should be done to provide for education. But when it comes to a, 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 a whole laundry list of tax here and tax there, I think that we have to have that as a last resort. I don't want to go there. Council okay. member um, I do not support raising the real estate tax, but I also don't think it's a lost cause in Albany. And um, Albany is right now, as you know, the dysfunction is crazy there. The leadership is in a, a tinderbox. Anything could happen there. We have a Democratic Assembly. I think this could easily pass a Democratic Assembly. And the Senate is a majority of Democrats. Uh, it's just the leadership is now uh, is now in the hands of the Republicans. So it's a very interesting dynamic. I don't think it's impossible. But I'll even give you this, Doug. It, it, it is possible. It's only $350 billion, I think, we're talking about, uh, which, as was mentioned, you know, we have a $70 billion budget. There are other ways to find this money if we need to. It's a priority for us to have pre-K and after school. But I think it's possible we can get it out of Albany. I don't think we, it, I think it is too early to say it isn't going to happen. Thank you. Doug, we have not gotten, the New York City has never received its fair share in the return of the taxes that we paid out to both the federal government and to the state. But having said that, the mayor-elect has advocated strongly on the millionaire's tax. I, in answer to your first question, yes, I support that. The second part of your question, raising the real estate taxes, I do not, and that's because the formula that this administration has used has been adversely affecting all of the affordable housing and the smaller housing units. And what has happened is they, in the city council, we didn't raise the rate, we raised the way the formula was done with assessments. And that has caused many building owners that have affordable housing to go almost into losing their properties which means that our communities lose many affordable housing units. We have to look at that formula. That has to be totally changed and revamped, and hopefully under this new administration, it will be looked at, it will be redone, and it will be revised, because it is wrong the way it has been used today. Thank you. Uh, really a yes-no question, and that is, would you support pre the, the institution of pre-K without the millionaire's tax? Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Who's next? Somebody yes. else. Yes. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay, good. Thank you for getting me out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, lost, I lost track there, excuse me. I mean, you know, you know, I'm getting old. Okay. Really following up on a previous comment on the nature of the property tax, should the council take steps to mitigate the residential property tax differential? This is a little bit of the weeds here. Between class one, one, two, or three unit residential, and class two, all other residential housing, including rentals, co-ops and condos. There is this built-in, if you will, inequity. Uh, uh, I guess, Councilmember Gerardnik, you begin. Yeah, I think uh, Councilmember Dickens uh, noted it right, which is that it's not always just an issue about the actual tax rates. It's really about, uh, frequently about the methodology and about the uh, assessment. 
valuations. Um, and I think that we need to take into account a variety of different factors here, including whether or not a property is income generating um, in a way that uh, it doesn't make property tax bills uh, necessarily completely unbearable to a property uh, owner. Uh, and I also think we should be sensitive to some of the unique forms of home ownership uh, in New York City. Um, so, you know, we, we have seen these assessed values uh, jump uh, in, a, in a way which has made this an unbearable situation for people, and I think that the council uh, needs to be right in there to take a hard look as to uh, how we can make that fairer. So you agree that there should be some minimization of the differentials? I, I, yeah, I think that we should try to take a look at the way that these differentials are coming about uh, and try to correct for that. Thank you. Uh, no, I mean, I think that this brings up an issue of you know, the really aggressive kind of oversight that we can do or work, recommendations. Mm -hmm. We could do a working group and really get into it because there is a great you know, injustice and differentials and it's really complicated. Uh, and it's something that the homeowners themselves or people don't understand, it's really difficult. I think this is an, a, an opportunity where us as a body can come together, get some of that expertise we have, and figure out how we can maybe make recommendations that work in partnership with this administration, we can look at making changes that will bring greater equity. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Doug. I'm not an expert on taxes, and I'm not gonna pretend to be one. I think this, again, is an opportunity to bring stakeholders to the table and work together in a real way to try to find uh, a middle ground and mitigate this issue to bring some relief to, to this issue. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Zachter? I'd like to bring relief too. Uh, I have to tell you that we only, in the, in the council, we only raised the rate once in eight years that I'm in the council. We raised the rate once. However, property owners, one and two family homeowners in the outer boroughs, and we're not outer boroughs, we are part of the city of New York, but that term is so used that I use it myself. We have gotten we increased, right, no, we are part of the city. And we have gotten increased bills every year. And when you have Mark Page on the witness stand from OMB, and you ask him these questions in the finance committee, it goes round the mulberry bush to the point where you forgot the question, leave alone the answer. <laughs> so we're entitled to clarity and an explanation. How could it be that we only raised the rate, the rate in one year, once in eight years, but the taxes have skyrocketed and those increases are often passed along to tenants because the homeowners of one and two family homes are seniors, immigrants, people on fixed income, two people working day and night. So that would be something I'd like to look at. Okay. I, um, I created something on the City Council called the Co-op and Condo Task Force, and I worked very hard with uh, my colleagues on uh, fighting the Department of Finance's outrageous increases on co-ops a couple of years ago. Uh, I represent a lot of co-op owners, and these are co-op owners who are, are, a lot of them retirees, a lot of World War II veterans, some of them, who um, these co-ops were built after World War II, and then a lot of new families who are starting their first purchase of a home is going to be a small co-op. And co-ops are unfairly taxed because the way they assess the values are based on some crazy system where you have to figure out what a rental unit of that size would go for and then come up with a comparable property. Very often there's not, no comparable property to use, so the co-op assessments are way out of whack. And they're all assessed the same, whether they're fancy co-ops in Manhattan or the little co-ops in Queens. So we need to come up with a new way to assess these co-ops that are fairer for these little these people <laughs> who are struggling to make ends meet. Uh, to make sure they're not getting squeezed in the tax increases. Thank you. Councilmember Dickens. Again, again, that goes back to what I initially said. Mm -hmm. The formula has to be changed. The differential between class one, 
and class two has to be a part and a definitive part of that discussion. This formula that is utilized today is wrong and has to be discarded and thrown out and we need to look at it and see what we can do. That is true what Jimmy says. We have not raised the, the rate but once, but the assessments has gone skyrocketed and that's where the increase in taxes comes from, where our homeowners of one to four and the smaller buildings get hit the hardest. And that is going to always adversely affect the affordability of the units. Thank you. Councilmember Williams. Uh, definitely not a 60 second question. Um, the None of these are 60 yeah, second questions. I concur, but I'll be trying. Uh, but this, the tax structure, particularly this one, uh, is terribly regressive. And I agree with uh, my colleague from thinking that it has to be thrown out and start again. There is um, differentials that we have limited control over. Means right now there is uh, someone, a uh, working class family in East Flatbush, has a beautiful home but is not assessed very high, is paying more taxes when they pay their tax bill than Mayor de Blasio in his wonderful home in Parslow. There's no community better than the other, but they're assessed differently and there are people who own properties that are not as assessed as high value as someone else and are paying more in taxes. There is a problem there. One of the things that we need to do is fight for home rule on some things, and this is one of them. We are the only part of the state that sends more money than we get back and has less control over things like the tax rate. We have to be able to do more with the real estate tax and tax it on general. Thank you. Let's move on to another substantive area, and that's the area of sustainability and resiliency. A, a total of about $60 billion in federal aid is coming to New York City for Hurricane Sandy-related rebuilding. How will you, as speaker, oversee the spending of these capital funds, and in a, in a substantive sense, how to ensure the resilience of the city's infrastructure? And I know this is not a 60-second question, but try. Well, I mean, you know, I know the mayor has presented an extremely thorough and very ambitious plan, but you know, which is incredibly expensive, clearly. Uh, this is not something that we can do alone as a city. We are gonna need the true partnership of the federal government. And we have seen such dysfunction happening that it's really kind of, uh, makes one very cynical, right? But we need to continue to have hope and put pressure that we're gonna get the assistance. At the local level, we have seen some infusion of money. What we don't know in terms of accountability and transparency, exactly where that money is going and what it is going for. And we still have families that are not in their homes, families that still need help in getting their homes uh, abated and, and up to speed. So I know that Councilmember Donovan Richards has a bill around the, about creating a sense of a database that provides that accountability and transparency, that the money that we get from the federal government to know exactly where it's being contracted, where it's being spent, also, we have a great new crop of young council members that represent affected areas and existing council members. We gotta create a very effective task force to work together in partnership to continue to ensure that the work is being done in these communities because there's still a lot of work to do and it's, uh, and it's really painful to see families displaced and still looking for assistance and feeling that they don't Thank have you. that. Thank you, thank you. Councilwoman, again, the, the role of the body and you as speaker overseeing capital spending and ensure the resilience of the city. You know, I, I think we need to take, make sure that these dollars are going directly into the areas that were mostly affected by Sandy. We need to make sure that we are building, um, building the infrastructure of, of the city 
I, I know that in this council, we just passed a package of legislation. I, I, I had the privilege of sponsoring one that will protect um, displaced, displaced um, families from, from their homes in making sure that whatever emergency shelters um, are created, that they're fully stocked with food, fully stocked with, with the necessary supplies that are needed for those families to be able to survive while we're going through this. Um, we definitely um, need to make, I believe that we should be creating a task force, taking a look at what the mayor has proposed and working new partnership again to make sure that the, that the areas that are that are most affect that were most affected and, and are those areas that will most likely be affected by another storm are the ones that get built um, in a real way to be able to resist uh, another storm that hits. Thank you. Council Member Baxter, this goes to the heart of our oversight powers. And I've stressed that the council must have stronger oversight. I stress that we have to have less resolutions that go God knows where because we have no power to implement the resolutions we pass. We should be passing intros and doing more oversight. I represent a low-lying area in City Island and Bronx Neck. We were spared at the last minute the raft of Sandy. And not only do we have to have oversight over money, we have to be aware of new, new floodplain designations. Serious stuff. New floodplain designations. Insurance rates that homeowners are threatened with that may go through the roof. We have to be aware of the buildings department and what regulations they are promoting regarding construction and reconstruction in the floodplain areas. We have to assure that people in the affected communities get job employment from the reconstruction that goes on in those communities. So we have our job cut out for us for many, many, many years to come. And that's what meaningful oversight is about. Thank you. Councilmember Weber. So I mentioned this the other day. Uh, the proudest moment I had in the city council since I've been here was how our council colleagues came together after Sandy. Um, we were on the phones, uh, conference calls every day, uh, discussing where the need was. And this is an area where need is the most important priority. Because a lot of areas, while we all were hit, were damaged terribly and people were out of their homes. And working together, uh, we really accomplished a great deal. We, a lot of us went out and we helped other people in their districts. We raised money, we've got supplies, we did a lot of yeoman's work working together. And it really made me feel good seeing us all work as a team. Uh, and the money coming in, we do have to track. We passed that bill, Donovan Richards bill. We have to make sure the money is tracked. So we have to work together as a team on things like this, on storm pre preparation and on storm recovery when something happens. And that was really a great moment and something that could be a model for how we could work together on so many other issues. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, the, the thing about it is, is that, and it's, it's excellent that Donovan Richards' uh, bill was passed because God knows, I don't know where the money is. There's still so many people that are out of their homes every day we see them on television saying that my home has not been repaired, saying that I still cannot go return to my home. We see that every day. We do know that some of, there were a lot of homes that were repaired, and yes, the, the council members did bond together to help those council members whose districts were most adversely affected. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know where all $60 billion went. Not when I look at television and I see homeowners still crying when I see them being interviewed on television and in the, in the news where they still are not back in their homes. So the bill that Donovan put through, I think is excellent because that will go 
a long way to transparency to hopefully see where the money goes. And by the way, that means that not outside contractors, but contractors here in New York City should be hired to do the work so that New Yorkers get the income that, that we badly need and not bringing people from Ohio. Thank you. Yes, thank you. We were woefully unprepared for standing. We were woefully unprepared for the blizzard in 2010. Uh, we have to absolutely think globally about what we can do to get better prepared for the next time we have a storm of that magnitude or a huge snowstorm. But we also have to think locally in smaller things that we've done. Some of these places that flooded, it wasn't the first time it flooded. It never flooded as big, but they were flood spots. They were indicators. I have a bill in the city council even before Sandy, that had to deal with catch basins. I get so many calls of catch basins over flooding. It simply says, let's do a catalog of when we've last cleaned the catch basin and when we're gonna clean it again. Push back because of money. Many people don't know, when they're putting salt down on uh, the floor to clean the snow, they're putting rock salt. That rock salt eats up the streets that then cause problems later on. Why don't we switch out the rock salt for the things that we more, know are more environmentally safe? It's because of money. We try to save 50 cents now, and we spend $2 later. Are the generators in place at the gas stations? There are some things that we can do right now for a little bit of money that is not as global as we should be doing, we can, but we can do now to prepare so that we can be ready in the next time it happens. Thank you. Councilmember So I think the, the most important way to think about this issue is for us to be spending our infrastructure dollars and our resiliency dollars pursuant to a broad plan. Because too often in New York City, we are doing ad hoc improvements which are not consistent with or pursuant to a broader concept. Uh, it was one of my critiques of the mayor's proposed East Midtown plan. Uh, it's something that has been an issue right here on the east side of Manhattan where you see uh, new development going up, but we're not uh, thinking properly about the accommodation of new schools, and we've had real challenges with overcrowding. Uh, so I think we need to do uh, real planning when it comes to our resiliency. Um, we also need to improve our building code and our zoning codes to be able to incorporate the fact that we are going to be seeing future severe weather events, uh, and we want to make sure that we are developing uh, those areas which are most likely to be affected in a sound uh, and responsible way. Thank you. Uh, next series of questions begin with Councilmember Palmer. Mayor-elect de Blasio is pledged to create 200 units of affordable housing over the next 10 years. So we get 200,000, what did I say? 200,000. Thank you. I'm, I'm, we should switch. <laughs> I, I could run this. No. 200,000 units of affordable housing over the next 10 years. Do you support this? And if so, what role do you see yourself as speaker playing? I, I absolutely support the, the creation of, of more housing units for, for working families and families that, that are being displaced by the high cost of rent. I think New Yorkers across all five boroughs are, are suffering with the high cost of rent. So I'm one of these that partner with the new administration to make sure that his ambitious goal of, of creating 200,000 units of, of affordable housing, not only for the poor, but for the middle income New Yorkers that, that have not seen, have not been able to find affordability in, in their communities, that have been pushed out of their communities, 
transition users or come back, either come back to their communities or can continue to remain in their communities. But we can do that, you know, as a city, we need to make sure that we're doing, we're being sensible and, and we're, we're attracting smart development and engaging the developers that are that are creating, um, that are creating these kinds of units to be able to, to, um, to build the kind of um, housing unit that we need to, to bring some relief to New York City. Thank you. Council Member Vaca. Well, part of my vision, part of my hope, if I'm able to, is to construct more affordable housing. Uh, I think we're missing an opportunity. We have an inventory of city-owned property in the city, and what I would be doing is that I would be using the capital budget of the city of New York, which could be such an economic engine if we used it correctly. But the capital budget of the city of New York, I would use to construct senior citizen housing throughout the city on city-owned parcels. And I would try to market those um, units to senior citizens who now live in public housing. 30% of the seniors, 30% of the people of public housing are seniors. Many of them are still in walk-up apartments, in, in apartments that are two and three bedroom units. They've been there since their children uh, were little, but they can't afford to move. I would create this housing for seniors using the capital budget. I would try to pressure the, not pressure, work with the federal government. <laughs> to take that back, pressure. <laughs> the federal government to give us Section 8 or 202 money so that we can make them affordable for seniors. And I would put them, I would make sure that these uh, places, uh, the city-owned property is near shopping facilities so that the seniors can shop. But I think that that's a strategy that we could use in the city to do something about the 200,000 people who are on NYCHA waiting list. These are families dying okay. for affordable housing. Thank you. Thank you. Council Member Weprin. Thank you. You know, 12 years ago, uh, after September 11th, I think there were a lot of people out there who didn't know if New York City would ever come back, that people would want to work, live, uh, go into lower Manhattan at all. Uh, unbelievably, 12 years later, there's over 100,000 new people, more than were there before September 11th. Um, that's because, you know, we've had a lot of new development. The city has to grow. I am not someone who's against new developments. I think, uh, I think people have a right to build. I think it's important for the city to continue to build new modern office buildings, new modern apartment buildings. However, I don't think developers have a right to make as much money as they possibly can. I think they have a responsibility to build affordable housing and a responsibility to pay fair wages on the people who are building those housing. Um, and I think that's an important thing that needs to be done. Thank you very much. No, uh, it's an important thing that needs to be done. Um, and I support the, the mayor's plan about trying to mandate where it's appropriate um, these ha housing requirements when people do develop it. Okay, thank you. Councilwoman? Uh, I definitely support the 200,000 affordable units. Uh, the low and middle income families are being pushed out of the city of New York. They can't afford to, to continue to live here. However, what my concern is the definition of affordability. That varies almost from block to block. So when we talk about affordability, we've got to not use that broadly, but we've got to really, when we are talking about where the, the construction of, of the development is going to be, it must be in context with that area median income. Because what's happening is we all talk about affordability and it's so generalized and we don't know what that means. Because affordable to one area is definitely not affordable to another. So although I support this, I must have a definition of affordable and know that, that the area is going, each area where the construction occurs 
those people, that residence, must be protected with the definition of a full Thank you, Councilwoman. Councilmember Schultz. Thank you. Of course, uh, support uh, trying to uh, build 200,000 units of affordable housing. I agree we need to find out what affordable means, and we need income-based housing uh, to make sure that we hit the target. Uh, also, there is no uh, plan uh, that can be complete without preservation. Uh, we are losing more units than we can ever build. We're losing five to 10,000 units a year. So there has to be a plan that includes building, but also includes preserving the affordable housing units that we already have. I wanna make sure that, that has inclusionary zoning uh, in it, so when we build the income-based housing, it's enough. And when people are building uh, uh, market rate, we make sure they have the income-based housing there. And lastly, uh, there can be no housing plan without New York City saying we are going to Albany uh, to get home rule to repeal the Earth Stat Law so that we can have control over what we're doing with our housing in New York City so that Republican senators in Niagara and in Saratoga are not making decisions on affordable housing in New York City. Thank you. Councilman uh, I, I think uh, Councilman Williams put it uh, beautifully, actually. Uh, and I think that when we're talking about uh, the mayor's plan, yes, we need to support him, uh, but we also need to go further, which is to protect the units that we have. And we are fighting every single day over in Stuyvesant Town and Peter Cooper Village, where I represent tens of thousands of rent-stabilized tenants who have seen the excesses of the housing boom, who have seen the tools that are available to landlords, whether it is vacancy, decontrol, or uh, the MCI laws, where improvements are put on rent bills and they stay on there forever long after the improvements are paid for so we need relief we need to work together as a council go uh, advocate to, for these changes in albany uh, because without them even as we create new units and we need to do that because we have a housing emergency and a vacancy rate which is below three percent in new york uh, we are losing these units and so we need to step up uh, and find ways to preserve them too. thank you councilwoman you know um, i represent uh district it's a low-income district with the most public housing in the city of New York and you know we have Chair Rosie Mendez here of the Public Housing Committee which is the cornerstone of affordable housing in this city is public housing so we really need to also as a city commit to the continued preservation of public housing and improving quality of life of those residents we need obviously control of our rent laws you know the number one issue that I deal with in my office with constituent services is housing it breaks my heart to see seniors particularly coming in, right, basically despondent, because landlords are trying to kick them out, landlords are harassing them, landlords are being ruthless, right, when it comes to tr how they treat our seniors. So the preservation and creation of units of housing is critical. So we have to, one, have a plan for public housing to help safeguard it and to invest more. We also really, in the terms of the mayor's plan, the mayor-elect, inclusionary zoning, mandatory, is critical. He also in his plan talks about looking at vacant lots and vacant properties as a way of looking at how we can incentivize and work with owners to create more affordability. That's something that I also support and I will look forward to working with him on that issue. Thank you. Both uh, Councilmember Williams and yourself just mentioned your support for inclusionary zoning for affordable housing. What about you, uh, Councilmember? I, I agree. I think that when the I know you could say more. <laughs> so we have universal agreement on that. Okay. Now, well, several of you have also mentioned 
the fact about the East Midtown zoning and the mayor-elect had said that developers should no longer be able to make large profits without, quote unquote, contributing more to the city. Do you agree with his assessment, yes or no? And specifically, what does your agreement mean? And I guess we begin with you, Council Member Backer. I agree, and I think that if there are large developments that developers build, I think that there should be an affordable housing component that takes into account the needs we have in this city. And I think that inclusionary zoning is one way to address that. And I also think that we at the council have to assess each proposal on its merits. I was very interested the other day, there was an ad, I think in the Daily News or one paper, there was a development in Manhattan and it said about affordability and it's one bedroom is, is $2,900 or something like that. That's affordable. So I think Inez Dickens had a point before when she's saying what is affordability is a question that has to be answered, but it has to be answered up front by the developers who submit these proposals. What do they consider affordable for people to pay so that we in the council are aware? So let, let me just be clear that you're saying that one of the elements of this contribution would be increased affordable housing. Okay, so council member Weston. I think I basically answered this already, said yes, um, absolutely. It should, you know, again, making money is a good thing, but you don't have to make as much money as possible. Yes, thank you. I've worked thank very, you for the time. Go ahead. I've worked very hard to, to meet every developer, unless they're building as of right, um, to increase the affordable units based upon my community area median income and to reduce the AMI and to distribute it equally throughout the development. I have been able to be successful at doing that without killing the development because my community wants the development but it also brings jobs because I ask the developers and demand from them to work with me with the numbers so that we do increase the number of actual affordable units and decrease the AMI. And as a result, I am one of the council members, they say, that has gotten the most number of affordable units based upon my area's AMI. Uh, so yes, absolutely. Uh, I agree with the council member Weffman. Uh, I want people who want business to make money, uh, so I want them to be here. You just don't have to make all of them. Uh, so I, I do believe in inclusionary zoning. I want to make sure uh, there are as much income-based housing as possible, preferably on site and not somewhere else. But we also need to see uh, what people are getting paid in those projects, uh, who's doing the work, are they from the city, are they from outside? These are questions I think we have to do more the council of asking up front. Uh, I just want to applaud uh, Council Member Dorotnik uh, for asking his colleagues uh, to vote uh, to not take up this project at this moment in time because it wasn't ready and it would be too damaging for the community. Uh, so I applaud for that and I hope to do more of that. More questions up front. Don't just jump in because it looks pretty. Everything that does is not bold. People are making exorbitant amounts of money and other people are struggling to subsist. I think your government must try to make that place playing field a little bit more. Thank you. I think most importantly is from a planning perspective, the city needs to understand first what it needs. Uh, we need to be able to figure out our impacts on transit. We need to figure out our impacts on schools. We need to 
make sure that our environmental impact statement, when we actually get one, uh, it, it is followed or that there's actual uh, responsibilities that are associated with it, not just the identification of problems. In some circumstances, it's gonna be appropriate to ask a developer to pay for it. In some circumstances, it's more appropriate for the city to pay for it. The idea of incentive zoning is not something which is new, whether it's for affordable housing uh, or for infrastructure needs, and it was certainly even employed as a possibility in the East Midtown rezoning proposal, uh, where developers would have an opportunity to buy air rights created by the city, uh, which would go for infrastructure. But the problem there, and it's consistent with what I'm trying to express, was that the plan for infrastructure and the plan for the district was not complete. And that's what we need to do. We need to plan first and be ready for the development. Thank right, you. Council. You know, the largest income gap in this nation is in New York City. You know, we have a lot of need in the city. It's widening the teen deprivation of the middle class. You know, we need to be able to harness and leverage what we have as a city to benefit everyone in this city and not just the select few. So if you want additional consideration to build a project or to build higher or to build denser, then you've got more you know, densely, then you've got to be able to invest some of that money back into the community in one way or another, whether it is building more affordable units and mandatory inclusionary zoning is, is what the uh, mayor elect plan calls for right now, the voluntary inclusionary, uh, inclusionary zoning model that's important, right? Also infrastructure improvements, et cetera. But what would happen with the East Midtown zoning, and again, yes, a, a council member Rodgers is to be commended, was that it was just too much, too fast, very little thought process, and it ended up uh, looking like a big giveaway. Right. So that's oh, important to know, yes. Council no, I, I believe this city is big enough for everyone, and I believe that um, development is an opportunity to transform struggling communities um, thrive. And I also, but I also believe that we need to have responsible private public partnerships. Um, I have been able to invest millions of dollars into my district, into affordable housing um, units that are being built as we sit, you know, as we sit here and go through this process. I've also had the, the opportunity to be approached by a developer a few weeks ago who's given me the opportunity to not only um, take a look at what his project's gonna look like, but to have real input on what the rent and the size of the units are gonna look like and what my community needs. So I believe that when those opportunities arise, we need to make sure that we're working with those developers and that the city takes advantage of those developers that are being proactive in wanting to transform our community. Okay, thank you. Now, the, the, the schedule and the flyers said eight o'clock, but we've lied. It's gonna go on beyond. These folks are having so much fun. They're willing to spend another 15 minutes with you. If you're willing to spend another 15 minutes with them, you're welcome to do so, because we will continue. However, Council Member Williams has to leave, and uh, everyone will have his 30-second close. He's gonna give his 30-second close now. Council Member, thank you. Thank you, and I apologize if there's actually some things that I really was hoping I'd, I'd get to answer. Um, so listen, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, issues. The real thing here about running uh, for speaker is yes, what are you all on the issue, but how are you gonna get those things done in a 51 member body? Um, and as I mentioned before, uh, I wanna use many of the skills that I, 10 seconds already? No, we You got more than 20 seconds. <laughs> okay, go ahead, go ahead, keep talking. Yeah, I want to use uh, the skills I learned as a community organizer uh, to empower the entire body. 
And I have Tourette's syndrome, I have ADHD, uh, I have a lot of other things that have given me empathy for other people. So even when people disagree with me, I try very hard to not just try to slam them, but to figure out why you are where you are, what led you to get there. And I want to use that kind of, uh, the skills that I've learned to really move us toward these issues in a way that's not about a hammer, that is about consensus. And I did, as a community organizer, about taking the power from the few and spreading it out. Okay. And I really want to do that, and I believe I can do that as a council member, and I've shown that I can. And Thank I you. So, Thank you. You, all get, you, all get, you all get, uh, you all get 60 seconds for your close. Thank you, man, uh, council member. Okay. Uh, next question again, we're going to do a couple of more issue questions. I'm compulsive. I have a list of questions that I want to ask, and I want, I want an answer. Okay. Councilmember Backer, how would you as speaker seek both to keep the crime rates low and address the constitutional General Bill, because that Inspector General is charged with that responsibility to research what is working, what is not working, what needs to be reformed, and what we in the council and what the mayor should know uh, in regards to better serving the public through the police department. So that was a bill I supported. I gotta be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, I've said this in all the other forums we have, we are down 7,000 police officers from the 9-11 attack. 7,000 less officers. And I do think that when you talk about public safety, and when we talk about returning to the community policemen on patrol model, which I support, we have to look at hiring more police officers during the next, next fiscal year to replenish those ranks. Thank you. Councilmember Webster. Professor Mosley, I disagree with the premise of your question that somehow all these stops have made crime in the city safer. Uh, in 2002, we had 97,000 stops for stop and frisk when Rudy Giuliani was mayor. In 2012, uh, Mike Bloomberg did 700,000 stops. Uh, crime dropped a lot more when Rudy Giuliani was there. It's dropped steadily since, but it isn't by stopping innocent people. They have stopped, people you know, who, don't, who haven't been stopped say, oh, they're just stopping bad guys. No, they're not just stopping there. They've been stopping people on their way to work, on their way to the park, a father walking his son to school. Uh, people have been stopped because this mayor created a quota system uh, that made people make stops that they would not make. So these are not people, and it's created less safe streets because their distrust in the communities of color is enormous. And in my district, which is a split district, as I mentioned, I had to defend my vote. I had someone run against me on this issue alone, but I defended that vote and went in, and I stood up and I took my, and I said why I supported those bills because I think this makes the city safer and the Constitution is an important thing for people and they need to know they can go about their lives without being stopped having done nothing wrong. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for calling me out on my, my biased assumption in the question, yes. but I recognize it. Well, I supported from the beginning the Community Safety Act and I got no opposition in my community to my support for it. They overwhelmingly supported me and no one ran against me. But having said that, I do believe in community policing. Stop and frisk 
and shopping frisk cannot be tolerated. But having said that, that's not every policeman is wrong. That's not saying that every policeman is bad. When the administration sets the tone and tells the commissioner who is appointed by the mayor that it's all right to do this policy, then it's turn them loose on, on the community. And it's, by the way, it's not just people of color who get adversely affected. The son-in-law of council member Karen Koslowitz was stopped and frisked. So, and I, I asked her, was her daughter married to a black man? But I do support community policing. But having said that, the people's co uh, constitutional right is a priority and must be protected. Okay. Well, first of all, I think it, it's important for us to recognize uh, the the hard work of the the men and women of the police department because they have a they have a very difficult job. Uh, that said, we also need to hold them uh, accountable for uh, the training and for the direction that they are getting from the commissioner and from the mayor. Um, this for me is not a new issue. Uh, I work very hard with Citizens Union and uh, then Council Member uh, de Blasio and Public Advocate de Blasio uh, at the time to reform the Civilian Complaint Review Board, uh, to give more independence to that civilian agency, to allow them to do prosecutions of police misconduct cases, uh, something which resulted in a memorandum of understanding to be able to allow for that to happen. Uh, so I think at the end of the day here, what we're talking about is police accountability, and that's why I voted for both bills, and I think that you can have uh, aggressive policing while also making sure that it is constitutional policing that respects the individual rights of all New Yorkers. Thank you. Thank you. you know, this is an issue that I've been very vocal about consistently for years, even challenged the commissioner. <laughs> budget hearings and challenge the mayor about the fact that policy as enacted criminalizes a whole generation of our young people and it does not make our communities safer. We need to make sure that the legislation is implemented, but we didn't have to get to this point. The mayor, and you would have listened to us at the local level, if we would have their, heard the voice of the communities impacted and affected, could have made administrative changes in the NYPD to make sure that the constitutional rights of our constituents were being respected and that was not happening. So we had to legislate it. So now we have a partner in the mayor-elect who has talked about changing and reforming stop and frisk, ending the era of stop and frisk, the way it's being implemented. About six years ago, under this same mayor, we had about 180 to 200,000 stop and frisks. And we got the same number of guns off the street than what we're doing now, with the number and the, almost the tripling of, of, the stop, of the stop and frisk. And that has to end. Right, there's ways to be more effective in the policing, having the hours spent pushing papers when you document these issues, have those officers out on the streets patrolling and interacting in more with our communities. That will make our community safer and we'll be sure as, as city council to move that forward. Thank you. And uh, council member Tom. As a mom. I'm start being a little bit firmer with the time, but go ahead, not you. When it comes to my No, not you, not you. Not you. <laughs> Don't ramble on, but not you. I won't ramble on. You know, I, I just want to be clear. As a mom of a 24-year-old Latino young man who was stopped and frisked simply because of the way he was dressed while he was waiting on the, on the subway platform um, for the train to get him to John Day College, I, I know firsthand what the communities were, were going through, right? I, I believe that in this new administration, we have to give Mayor de Blasio 
an opportunity to appoint a commissioner, a commissioner who understands that, yes, the police is there to keep our, our streets safe, but they cannot do it at the expense of violating people's rights. And so I'm committed to the stop and frisk issue. I'm committed to being, making sure that reforms are done in a real way, um, and in a real way with this administration, beginning with the, with the commissioner that's appointed. Okay, thank you. Two more substantive questions, uh, some from the audience and then a lightning round and then we'll, we'll do it with, you know, and, and this. Uh, the next question, you, you'll be able to figure out which of our co-sponsors posed this question. Mayor-elect de Blasio's transportation platform includes working to phase in the creation of a city bus rapid transit network. The question is, he will allocate funding from the city's capital budget to accelerate implementation. Where do you stand on this particular proposal of the mayor, beginning with you, Mark? I'm a, I'm a very large uh, advocate to make sure that we increase our public transportation options. Uh, that's what makes a great city. Uh, we need to modernize our transportation options. We gotta make them more efficient. Um, and it's that that's gonna keep people living in New York City and wanting to move to New York City and those developers to build New York City uh, housing with affordable housing. Um, so all those things have to happen. So anything that increases options for people to get to work, not to use their cars as much, to keep healthier streets, the air, everything, comes from people being discouraged. I live in a transit desert and people are forced to drive. We need to give them more options to get into work, to get into Manhattan, to get to other places they need to go. And uh, we wanna make sure that that's a big part of any plan. Councilmember Dickens. I, I strongly support the capital plan as proposed. However, the one thing that I want to ensure is the affordability, that the people can afford to utilize the system that we build. Uh, that's very important, that has not been, been, been protected, and that has to be on the table as well. When we talk about utilization of capital funds, definitely I support it for the, for the transportation. However, we still must also be aware that in doing it, we must keep it affordable for the people to use to get to work and get back home. Thank you, Councilmember Gorodny. So I've been a supporter of uh, select bus service uh, in my own area and also support the expansion of uh, SBS uh, around the city. Uh, it has the great benefit, for those who are less familiar, of allowing buses to move much quicker by not having the fare being paid uh, right when you walk on uh, the bus, rather off-board fare collection, uh, more limited stops. Uh, and it has worked on First and Second Avenue in a way that is really noticeable and is really compelling. Uh, we need to do the same uh, when it comes to accessing our airports. Uh, we also need to continue to demand more from the MTA. Uh, this is not only a city responsibility here. Uh, the fact that the mayor has proposed doing that, uh, I respect, and I think that he is right to try to advance this discussion for improving our mass transit. Uh, but we need more from the MTA, and we need more from the state. Thank you. Councilwoman? Um, you know, we have to, I'm extremely supportive of expanding the transportation infrastructure of this city. That's obviously an issue of equity as well, right, in terms of communities having full access to a thriving and, and robust transportation system. Uh, like Jen, since I do represent East Harlem, select bus service has been an incredible success. And considering that the east side of Manhattan only has the four, five, and six lines, having really uh, extended bus service is critical. Uh, also, when you look at the issue of protected bike lanes, I, I'm a strong supporter of that, because that is a transportation alternative 
that also helps make the city more livable for people, right, in terms of, of uh, uh, affordability as well. If people have the ability to use an infrastructure that's gonna allow them to get to work by biking, and it's a healthier lifestyle too. So, you know, those things are, are really important. And even, even expanding the whole uh, city bike program as well throughout the city more thoroughly when you have a membership of $100 a year, you know, if you have the ability to go and use it throughout the city, it's creating affordable options and more opportunities. We have to share the road, and I believe in expanding our transportation infrastructure Thank budget to support that. Thank you. I support this proposal. I, I am a strong advocate of alternative means of transportation, and I will do anything in my power with the 50 council members behind me to make sure that we're a partner with, with the administration to implement this proposal. I have a beautiful waterfront community that needs a ferry, mm -hmm. and I will work hard to make sure that the, the community sees that. Council Member Beck. Well, as chair of the Transportation Committee, I have to tell you that we've spent hours on these issues. In fact, one of the first SBS routes is in my district at Pelham Parkway going up Fordham Road. I support SBS very strongly. We work with the MTA DOT on the first and second avenue routes on Webster Avenue in the Bronx in Pelham Parkway again. I think it gets people where they want to go quicker. It encourages people to use mass transit. I think it's the way of the future in the city. It's been proven that it works. So I would like to promote more SBS routes, yes. Okay, now we're moving to sort of a lightning round, yes, no, single answer question. And I guess I start with you, uh, Council Member Dickens. Uh, at least 30 members of the new city council support banning rumors. Will you as speaker end the practice? Yes or no? No. I have not accepted a Lulu. Uh, I think we need to take this up internally within the council, and if there is support for it, as, as there appears to be, we have to take a look at it. It has to be discussed within the body. Discussed within the body. Yankees. Council Member Garadnik. The Yankees for me. Not the Boston Red Sox. 
cares about his colleagues greatly, and who doesn't make anything personal. And I think I can bring people together, and I think that's most important. Thank you. Councilwoman Dixon. I, I want to thank you for, for hosting this, and I want to thank you for uh, uh, listening to all of us give you uh, answers that some of you like, some of you may not have liked. I am a truthful person. I am a fighting person. I am a progressive person. Everybody's using bantering the word progressive, progressive. I've been progressive before it became popular to utilize the terminology. <laughs> However, to say, to say that, that means part of it is bringing this team. Part of it is being able to build coalitions. Part of it is the ability to negotiate and fight for you. And it's through the representatives that you elected, the other council members. That's what I've been doing. That's what I want to do. I want to take it to another level. I want to be there to help. This is my final term. I don't have another term. This is my last term, my third and last term in the New York City Council. And I'm not running for mayor. Okay. But I, I do bring experience, and I do ask for your support. I do ask you to listen to me, as I must listen to you. Okay, thank you thank very you. much, Council. Uh, council Member I think the hallmark of an ex a, a successful council office is one that is accessible, is transparent, is good staff, uh, an operation that works. And I think that if you take that and bring it onto the larger scale of the entire city council. Uh, what you see is meetings that start on time, uh, that respect the public, uh, that you pass laws that make sense, that are fairly considered with uh, public hearings, uh, and where the council is a thought leader in the city and not simply responsive to anybody else's agenda, uh, where we don't fear debate or dissent where we feel that empowering individual members is a source of strength, not a source of weakness. Uh, I feel that I have the ability to bring that uh, to the role of speaker, and I certainly hope to have my colleagues support. Councilman, you have the last word among the council members. Thank you. Um, I look forward to getting the support of my colleagues on the city council to be a more inclusive body. I have a proven track record of effective leadership, passing legislation, and passing policies, in helping advance certain issues, whether it's being an ally of the mayor on the issue of congestion pricing, where I was a very vocal voice, or being a dissenting voice when it comes to the issue of policing and changing discriminatory policing and ensuring that we stop the marijuana arrest crusade that is happening in this city. Uh, we have the largest income gap in this nation, as I mentioned. We have record homelessness. We have 26% of our children living in poverty, 20% of our adults. These are figures that are just not acceptable. And so I am the progressive candidate that is leading this body, will work with this administration, listen to the mandate that's been presented, lead this body in a direction where we're gonna impact the lives of people, make positive change that is gonna improve the quality of life for those that have been left behind. And it is through the respect of the members and the city council being a member-driven body that we will achieve that success, success will ultimately. Thank you. I six of you and the, and the now absent uh, council member Williams for uh, exposing yourself for this length of time. I also, I also apologize to Mayor-elect, not Giuliani. <laughs>
Thank you.